This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our first reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. The second Bible reading today is the first proverb of the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding his words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice and equity. To teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning and the discerning acquire skill. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please do be seated. Professor Stephen Hawking was one of the smartest people who ever lived. I don't think that's in any dispute. But was he wise? A new biography by Charles Seif called Hawking Hawking, it's a great title, Hawking Hawking, The Selling of a Scientific Celebrity, shows that Hawking was indeed a genius who changed the course of physics through his work in, on black holes and the Big Bang. He overcame the terrible suffering of motor neurone disease with tenacity and courage. He achieved iconic status in 1988 with his book, a million-selling book, A Brief History of Time, which was famous as a bestseller that nobody actually read. After that came appearances on shows like The Simpsons, or at least his drawing was on it, and invitations to comment on everything from artificial intelligence to space travel and philosophy, subjects which, if we're honest, he didn't know that much about. But because of his celebrity, his fame as a smart person, his every word was treated like a divine oracle. 
He became, as the biography shows, shamelessly self-promoting to the point of arrogance and heedless of what other people might think. It would be not too much to say that Hawking was an atheist because there wasn't enough room in the universe for another deity besides him. Meanwhile, his personal life was complex. He left his first wife of 30 years, Jane, she was a committed, a committed Christian, for one of his nurses in 1990. But he had not chosen wisely. This was a tempestuous relationship with allegations that his second wife abused and belittled him. It caused a deep rift with his children that only in his last years was healed. He was also apparently given to visiting strip clubs and had rather unreconstructed views about women. As an academic, he was known for not sharing the limelight with those who had done the actual work and for the questionable treatment of some of his students. Now, let me be clear. Hawking was not a particularly bad person as people go. He had many virtues. He overcame many obstacles. But his profound intelligence, exceptional intelligence, did not give him exceptional wisdom for living. I tell the story of Stephen Hawking because I think it says something about contemporary culture. We are so blinded by intelligence and skill that we have lost sight of what it is to be wise. We look to the famous, the wealthy, the clever, the influential for wisdom for life. But it turns out they are no more wise than anyone else. I think three things have made it so. Firstly, the specialization of knowledge. It's one of the hallmarks of a sophisticated civilization like what we think we are, that we've become highly specialized. We believe in expertise. Through years of education and study, we apply ourselves not to general knowledge, but to particular expertise. We get more and more specialized. We find our niche and we work in it. But we don't know much else. We're good at one thing. That's what we aim to be. That's what we reward. Secondly, the success of science through technology have led to this loss of wisdom. And rightly so. Science has been extremely good for us. It has given us so much, especially through technological innovation. Through the past couple of hundred years, we have got extraordinary prowess and ease of life and uh, relax, uh, um, healing of suffering because of our scientific success. We've got air, air conditioning and jet travel and oncology, just to name three that came to mind. We start to believe that there's no question that can't be solved by an expert or a machine, or even better, an expert with a machine. Thirdly, and really at the root of those first two, is that we have forgotten God, who is the giver of all wisdom. According to the Bible's way of thinking, God is the source of all knowledge and wisdom, the single point that anchors everything all together and makes it cohere. He is the integrative principle of all human knowledge and understanding. Science and ethics, art and philosophy, and the business of living everyday life. These are all part of living in a world that God has made and filled with his goodness. And that's the message of the ancient book 
of Proverbs that we turn to today and over the next few weeks. Now, the book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings gathered together in ancient Israel and called with the title, you can see on the reading that we had read for us earlier, the title is really the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, it's unlikely that uh, Solomon authored every part of the book, but Solomon was famous in the Old Testament for his wisdom and his desire to seek out knowledge from every part of the creation. So the compilers of this book used his name as if to say, this book contains wisdom in the style and method of Solomon. We've observed the world and what happens in it through the lens of the fear of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is what Solomon taught us to do and here's the fruit of our labor. We'll find in this book observations about the way the world generally works and how to live in that world. That's what wisdom is, knowledge by which to live well and to avoid disaster in relationship with others, in relationship with God and in relation to ourselves. Sorry, my pages are now out of order. Hang on. Luckily, I have numbered them. But behind these observations is a theme that comes up again and again in the Bible. You see it in the last verse of our reading today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. In verse 7, it uses the word knowledge, not chokmah, which is the Hebrew word for wisdom. But that appears in uh, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Job 28, 28. And in Psalm 110, 111, verse 10. It's sort of a theme statement for wisdom. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or human knowledge. Well, what does this mean? Well, let's take it piece by piece. First of all, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Well, what is this fear? The Lord is indeed to be feared with a knee-knocking, bowels turned to water sort of fear. To encounter His holiness is to be rightly terrified. When people have encounters with God in the Old Testament, they fall on the ground as though dead. But this fear here is somewhat different. This fear is a sense of regard and respect. It's akin to trust. It's the fear, for example, that you ought to have for authorities. In a just society, you should fear the police and the judiciary and the government because you should have respect and regard for them. You don't fear them in a just society because they are unpredictable, but because they are entirely predictable. And you respect and regard them because you believe that they have your interests in heart. You take heed to what they say. You revere them and you honour them. During the year of COVID, our government has uh, imposed various rules and regulations on us. And I have to say, sometimes I've disagreed with the rules. But because I believe our government has our best interests in heart, it's been the right thing to do to fear them, to regard and respect what they say, even though it's been massively inconvenient. Likewise, with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord means giving Him His due, regarding and respecting His authority in all things. It means worship and obedience. It's another way 
of speaking about faith, that is to say. To fear the Lord is what it means to have faith in Him. Which leads to the second piece of the sentence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord, in whom should we fear? Who is it that you should fear? It is the Lord, the God of Israel, who we know as the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for us and risen from the dead. He is the creator who made all things and gives them their very being. He is the source of all beauty and truth and goodness. He is its judge who judges it with righteousness. He makes the world in which we live an ordered and meaningful place. But more than that, this Lord is the one who is abounding in steadfast love, showing mercy and loving kindness to generations. He calls Israel, his people, out of Egypt. And he calls people everywhere out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are, we, who are we then to fear? Not an idol, not a monster, not the mob, not the king, but the Lord, who is worthy of our fear because he made all things and judges all things and because he redeems people from sin, evil and death. And this fear means that we are to be humble for he is the Lord and not you. There is no wiser person than the one who has realized that he or she is not God and that God is. There's that famous scene in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, a scene I've never forgotten, where Mr. Beaver tells the children about the lion Aslan. Aslan is a lion, the lion. That's my impression of a beaver talking, by the way. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Lord God is not safe. He's not tame. How dare you think that he might be? But he's good. He's the king. And the fear of this Lord is the beginning of the wise life. It's the beginning of wisdom. Well, in what sense it is, is it the beginning? It's the foundational principle and platform. It's the springboard from which wisdom, the wise life, can begin. Now notice, it's not everything that we need to know or everything we can learn. The fear of the Lord should prompt us to discover how the world works, to go out into the world and observe how it works in confidence that it is a meaningful world that makes sense, that it is filled with the grandeur and glory of God, that we will encounter, when we encounter truth there, that, that it is the Lord's truth. The fear of the Lord is our guide at every point as we seek wisdom and knowledge. And this means that we, we who are Christians ought to have confidence in scientific and in other knowledge as far as it goes. 
You don't have to be a Christian to find out true things about the creation. That a scientist is a Christian or not, that an expert in any field is a Christian or not, at one level, does not stop them from finding true things. The Bible is not the answer to all life's questions. Sometimes Christians say that. All the answers to life's questions are in the Bible. Well, no, they aren't. It doesn't tell you what car to buy or what suburb to live in or what shoes to wear, just for some people think it's sandals. But it doesn't tell you that, right? It doesn't, it's not comprehensive. It's decisive, what the Bible gives us. It gives us the key, the principle for understanding what we find. It tells us that the earth is the Lord's and that it is filled with his truth and that we've been equipped with his, as his creatures to go searching for his truth. It's our responsibility to recognize and acknowledge truth when we see it, to be discriminating about it and to seek it out. The great theologian John Calvin said this in the 16th century, if we reflect that the Spirit of God is the only fountain of truth, we will be careful as we would avoid offering insult to him, not to reject or condemn truth wherever it appears. In despising the gifts, we insult the giver. We, of all people, should rejoice at scientific discoveries as they appear. When human beings are doing what human beings are supposed to do, and inquire into God's world for God's truth. It's a disgrace, in fact, to our Creator, if any Christians are anti-science, just as it is pathetic that atheists worship science. It is shameful that Christians are so easily swayed by conspiracy theories and half-truths, and not more disciplined and rigorous in looking for the truth. The fear of the Lord should make us more careful and more respectful, more suspicious about grand theories, and more aware of our own tendency to believe what we want to believe. The wisdom that the fear of the Lord gives us ought to give us optimism that the truth may be found in the universe that he made. It is a meaningful and not chaotic and disordered place, but it also ought to make us skeptical about human arrogance and greed and its, its influence on the enterprise of human knowing. So then, you may be well-credentialed, wealthy, respected, educated to an inch, within an inch of your life, and successful. You may be a social media influencer with half a, mil, you know, half a million followers, but are you wise? You will find in the fear of the Lord the secret to true wisdom. It is the key to living well in the world. How? Because it gives you your limits and because it gives you your freedom. It gives you your limits and it gives you your freedom. Firstly, it will give you your limits. That great philosopher from America, Clint Eastwood, put it well. A man's got to know his limitations. If you fear the Lord, you know something crucial. You know that you are not God. You will be humble. That means you know that you don't know everything. Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, got it almost right. He said, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. I think he should have finished the sentence, 
and, and knowing that God knows everything. The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing, and that's close to the truth. A profound revelation for us is in knowing how little we know. That is amazing. That's a great thing. You can go home today. What did you learn in church today? I learned that I know nothing. It's a great thing to take away. It's interesting here in this, in this passage, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7, it's addressed to the wise and it tells them to do what? Look for wisdom. Because only fools despise instruction and knowledge and wisdom. So the wise person is not the person who's attained wisdom, the person who thinks it's finished, who thinks they know something. The wise person is the person who continues to search for wisdom. There's always more to learn. But this also tells us that we don't always know what the plans and purposes of God are. And that song, The Perfect Wisdom of the Lord, teaches us this very well. It tells us that we may be bewildered by what we experience in the world. We may not see the plan and pattern of God and the purpose that He has in our lives, in world history. But He has a pattern and a plan. We don't know what He knows but we know what he is like, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, powerful to do what he says he will do. And so, instead of pretending to know what we cannot know, we do much better to fear him. And more than that, again, you will give account to the Lord one day for the gift of your life. The wise person realizes that the Lord is a righteous judge who will bring everything to life, to light. I feel this sometimes when in my pastoral situations, and I, I feel like people are acting sometimes uh, in such a, such a way as to not recognize that they will one day give answer to the Lord God Himself. And I feel like saying, Do you not, are you, do you not fear the Lord? Do you not realize that you need to respect and revere him? Is his opinion so cheap? Do you think you know better than him? He is your judge. You are not your own judge. As Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. There is no one more foolish than that. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The fear of the Lord gives you your limits, but the fear of the Lord also gives us our freedom, will give you your freedom. It will do that because it enables us to live wisely and well. It enables us to see what is good and to embrace it. We live in a world that makes sense even when we can't see it. So we can step out into it in confidence, even when it appears bewildering, chaotic and dangerous. The fear of the Lord gives us the eyes to see the justice and the beauty that permeates the cosmos. It gives us a heart for God's justice. It enables us to see how the creation bears the marks of its creator, how his character is in every droplet, in every stone. The fear of the Lord tells us that we do not live in a random place. It tells us that evil will not triumph. The fear of the Lord opens our eyes to the experience of awe and wonder. That experience that we so desperately crave. That experience of awe and wonder. 
we can contemplate the world for what it is, the sheer depths of the universe, the beauty of the world that we, li we live in, the extraordinary mechanism of the atoms, and know that these are the handiwork of our extraordinary good God. When we fear the Lord, we know what truth and beauty and goodness really are. And so we can pursue them, delight in them, and praise Him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St Mark's.